Welcome to Booking Like a Mark. We rewrite past storylines, create new matches and PLEs, and make our own gimmicks and characters. It's not just fantasy booking. This is Booking Like a Mark. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Booking Like a Mark. I'm your host, Mark, and this week we have a double main event. As promised, we are going to rebook the WrestleMania 4 WWF Championship Tournament as an Elimination Chamber match. First, we're going to talk a little bit about February pay-per-view events. This is the last episode for February of this year, and Eric and I had a very good conversation about this when we were doing our predictions podcast for the Elimination Chamber. Unfortunately, that episode is running a little long, and as you know, we like to stick to a 30-minute time limit. I was able to take some of the content that we had for that episode and repurpose it and put it here. So we're going to start talking about what makes a good February pay-per-view. A good February pay-per-view should have matches you're not going to see on Mania. Let the Mania be the big matches that everyone wants to see, and feuds that have some strength but aren't really turning. Give them a good 15-20 minutes. Have them go on the February pay-per-view. Yeah, see, because they did that with Cody when he was Stardust with Goldust. That match ended up happening on the February pay-per-view instead of WrestleMania. If you're not making it to Mania, end your storyline in February. Mm -hmm. For me, what makes great February pay-per-view is I number one for me is that it shouldn't feel like a stop on the road to WrestleMania. When you say like a stop, some of the storylines really do pause. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the February show, the story should be evolving and developing, not pausing. And I feel like the best way to describe that is it should be more like a fork in the road to WrestleMania or an intersection. And then you look at No Way Out in 2009 with Edge losing one championship just to win the other one at the end of the night. It kind of reset the whole company on the road to WrestleMania. So that way you could lead into Mania and have Triple H represent the McMahon family against Randy Orton. No Way Out. We have Batista and Undertaker teaming against Cena and Shawn Michaels. Both were going to be fighting for the titles at WrestleMania, and you weren't sure which team was going to cost the other person the match because they were feuding. Mm -hmm. I was going to bring that one up too because I feel like that's a great parallel to this year's tag match they're going to do, Cody and Rollins against Rock and Roman. If you actually had all of those guys, obviously Rollins is hurt right now, but if you had Rock and Roman on the show and Rollins was healthy, that would make a lot more sense to do that tag match as your main event here, mm -hmm. leading to WrestleMania. Everyone talks about the road to WrestleMania. I think it needs to be something where it's transportation-based. Roadblock, Fastlane, as crazy as, as it is, and you just did a podcast on the NWO, which debuted at No Way Out, where it was a road sign, mm -hmm. and the stage were two tractor trailers. I mean, I love it when it's you're really using the road to WrestleMania. I mean, Roadblock worked as, you know, if if you're, f and that match would fit great if it's someone defending their, their, um, Definitely, yes. Yeah. Defend their title. Roadblock. That know, would be the big roadblock. Are you running in front into of a roadblock mm -hmm. on the way to WrestleMania? I like Fastlane, though. I, f I feel like Fastlane, or you can, I mean, over the limit with a car, something like that, but something where it has transportation. You know, you can have it where you have multiple matches where it's a shot. And use that, I mean, as a, a pay-per-view work, you're not going to have all your champions defend the titles because you want to save them for WrestleMania. Have a bunch of number one contenders matches. Really make it worth it. Obviously, you want to set up number one contenders for WrestleMania. 
But I feel like that's my big problem with Elimination Chamber is it is so hard to naturally organically book people into an Elimination Chamber match that they've just slotted it in February because they're like, it works perfect. We throw a bunch of random people in there and they fight for a number one contender opportunity. And as from a storytelling perspective, it's so limiting. I do not like the Elimination Chamber as its own event. I definitely don't like it in February. Roadblock, I actually think it'd be really interesting if, for example, if people have already picked their WrestleMania opponent, the Royal Rumble winner has, if they pick an opponent for the champion and the champion picks their opponent, mm. right, they're setting each other's roadblock. Like a when, pick your poison. Yeah, when you're in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you're at it. I mean, there's definitely stuff they could do to add a little extra drama. And you're right, elim- Elimination Chamber. And they're trying to get away from pay-per-views basically booked off of a match. Mm-hmm, yep. Like you said, they got rid of TLC. Yeah. They still have Money in the Bank and the Royal Rumble, which I think those are going to just continue oh, yeah. because they actually work very well as concepts. Yeah. But Hell in a Cell, Elimination Chamber, those are very tough to book. Yeah. So, I mean, you also, and look at, too, the, some of the best times where you had, where you don't know who the Royal Rumble's facing. Remember mm-hmm. back in the day, Undertaker, he went to every single brand, yep. stared down the champion? Something like that. Have it where they don't de- determine who's facing who. I mean, you're going from the end of January all the way to the beginning of April. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pick someone the next night. That's Stretch true. The road to WrestleMania has gotten longer. If you look, a lot of the old WrestleManias were in the middle of March. Mm-hmm. Even I remember WrestleMania 20 was like March 14th. Mm-hmm. And now they're in April, so you've added a couple extra weeks. You've stretched out the road to WrestleMania. Yeah, so stretch it out. Have it be where you can't determine your winner till after Fastlane or your February pay-per-view. And then you have your Elimination Chamber win. Yeah. So you could actually still have an Elimination Chamber match, but they don't know which champion they'd be challenging. Mm-hmm. They are just becoming a number one contender, and their prize is whichever one the Rumble winner does not pick. Mm-hmm. And so now, even after that, you still don't know what your WrestleMania match is going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. But on that point, the one I would do for February, and this is really crazy, is I bring back bragging rights. They don't do brand warfare anymore for Survivor Series. That's mm. devoted to war games now. And I think it could open up a lot of storytelling possibilities. What I would do to actually make it work, though, is I have the brand split kind of become soft in January, heading into the Rumble. Which it has this year. Right. <laughs> I would have the brand split kind of remain soft until after WrestleMania, have the draft at the end of April, and then all of a sudden it becomes a hard brand split, mm. where you do not see guys crossing over. So you have four months where it's soft, eight months where it's a hard brand split. That way, by the time it comes around again, scene Raw versus SmackDown is still unique. Mm-hmm. Then... What I do is I, like you said, don't have the Rumble winner pick a champion yet. And in your main event for bragging rights, you have the World Heavyweight Champion against the WWE Champion. And your Rumble winner can either be in a skybox watching the match. He could do commentary. He could be a special ref, an enforcer. And all of a sudden you have a huge main event that has implications for WrestleMania. So it's almost not a stop on the road to WrestleMania, but a detour. Mm -hmm. Right. Hey, if you did this year, imagine if you had Reigns against Rhodes. Cody is your special ref. Reigns against Rhodes. I mean, uh, <laughs> Reigns against Rollins. Reigns against Rollins. Right. <laughs> but especially because Rollins was so desperate for Cody to face him. Mm-hmm. Reigns was like, you don't want to face me again. If you put the two of them on your February pay-per-view facing off and Cody mm-hmm. is like, I want to pick Reigns. But, you know, if you never beat Rollins. And if Rollins beats you and I beat Rollins, then that means I'm better than you, Roman. So, again, the intrigue, right? The also, for a bragging rights pay-per-view, your other big match, is Team Raw versus Team SmackDown. And since you have War Games now, you're not doing a big elimination tag match. You do it here, 10-man and 12-man. 
You have tensions between teammates from their brand, which could lead to matches for WrestleMania. You've got Superstar. They could, after this event, they could go after the person who eliminated them from this big tag match. Just like you used to have people at WrestleMania, they'd face whoever eliminated them from the Royal Rumble. Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels, their storyline started that way, right? You could even have the Unified Tag Team Champions be actually on different brands, just like Jericho in 2009. And then you've got, you could have rivals distract each other, leading to elimination. You could have, you look at right now, right, with the Jimmy and Jay thing. Imagine if you did Bragging Rides as your February pay-per-view and they each led a team. And now it logically, because they are on different brands, mm-hmm. and it sets them up to start feuding again instead of this randomness of Jimmy has barely interacted with Jay and now he costs him a title, <laughs> right? And then it could even lead to a potential rivalry between the general managers. And if you look at that, if you look at a typical kind of bragging rights card, you'd have the women's champions from Raw versus SmackDown. You'd have your IC champ versus your US champ. Your women's Raw team versus women's SmackDown team. And the same for the men. And then your two main men's champions, the world champion, the WWE champion. So I'd give you a five-match card setting up multiple WrestleMania feuds. Mm-hmm. So please, join the conversation. Find us on X or Facebook and let us know. What do you think makes a good February pay-per-view event? And which concept do you think works best? Do you like Eric's idea of a roadblock or fast lane? Or would you like to see my idea of bringing back bragging rights? One of the most common PLEs that WWE uses in the month of February is Elimination Chamber. Personally, I feel like that's a very limiting concept because it's very hard to find a legitimate reason why you would have six superstars all competing for the same prize. The only time that I really feel that it worked very well was New Year's Revolution 2005. In that case, the World Heavyweight Championship had been vacant and they needed to crown a new champion. That got me to thinking, what other times in history could WWE or WWF have used the Elimination Chamber concept to crown a new champion? I looked at a couple of occasions. The first was in 1998 at the Deadly Games Tournament. In that case, The Rock ended up winning the vacant title thanks to help from Vince and Shane McMahon, over Mankind. I really liked the idea of that, but when I went back a little bit farther, WrestleMania 4 really caught my eye. That was a completely different time period, and to me it would be very interesting to look at how an Elimination Chamber match, which debuted in 2002, would look on a pay-per-view in 1988. During the course of the event, there were a lot of backstage interviews done with different superstars in the championship tournament such as Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Here's what it would sound like if they had a very special interview with Macho Man Randy Savage about his impending debut in the Elimination Chamber. Yeah, only one man can be the World Wrestling Federation Champion. Never before have men stepped into such an unholy battlefield. Yeah, the most brutal match. Yeah, the most dangerous match. Yeah. The most destructive match, oh yeah. Two miles of chain, yeah. Ten tons of steel, oh my, yeah. No chamber can contain the Macho Marini Savage, oh yeah. For the main event, the chamber slowly lowers down to the ring.
But what color would an elimination chamber be back in 1988? Remember, at that time, steel cage matches had big blue bars. So would the elimination chamber be the black chain? Or would it be blue to match the cage? Could it have been red just to be unique from the cage? Or would the WWF had had silver chains around the elimination chamber? So it had a similar feel to be their version of war games. Please jump on our X page and vote in our poll until Friday. We have the entrances up next. Hulk Hogan comes out first to get the big pop from the crowd, followed by Andre the Giant, Ted DiBiase, and One Man Gang. Now, why are we picking those four? Well, obviously, Hogan and Andre have a legitimate claim to be in there. Hulk Hogan lost the WWF Championship to Andre the Giant through controversial means, and he then presented it to Ted DiBiase. That's why the title was vacated in the first place, so all three of those guys would be in the chamber. I also included One Man Gang because he was a bigger power-based superstar who would be very competitive in an Elimination Chamber match, and he got a bye in the tournament, so naturally, for our match, he wouldn't start. We would put him in a pod so he would get a bye. Just like Ted DiBiase had a buy in the tournament, Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan would each get a buy. They're perfect candidates to start the match in the four pods. Obviously, we need Randy Savage in this match. He is going to win the WWF Championship, and you got to be in it to win it. I'm using a couple of different Elimination Chamber matches here as the blueprint. One of them was SummerSlam 2003. That one started with Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho, the two guys who had fought each other at WrestleMania. So to create a parallel to that, for our Elimination Chamber, Randy Savage is going to start with the guy he fought at the previous WrestleMania, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Ricky was in the championship tournament, but lost his first round match. So he's a perfect candidate to be in this match and start it and get eliminated as one of the earlier superstars. So those were our six. Hogan, Andre, Ted DiBiase, One Man Gang, Randy Savage, and Ricky Steamboat. The beauty of having a tournament for the championship is that it allowed Randy Savage to have multiple matches to show his endurance and show his worth as WWF champion. By having him start this match, we're going to recreate that because he's going to have to go the distance. He's going to have to show that same endurance to start an Elimination Chamber match and walk out of it as champion. I would like to point out during his entrance, because of the brutality of this match, he would probably send Elizabeth to the back because he wouldn't want her around ringside. However, One Man Gang would have Slick outside the chamber, and Teddy DiBiase would have Virgil, so he would have two managers outside the ring. The chamber does make it harder to interfere, but we might still see both of those guys get involved in the match. So the match begins. With Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage almost recreating their WrestleMania 3 match, we'd see a lot of similar moves we'd see them recreate a lot of classic moments from that match. However, this time, when Ricky Steamboat tries to roll up Randy Savage, Savage would be able to roll out of it and keep the match going. We would see Steamboat come off the top rope with one of his famous crossbodies. But by this point, him and Savage would have been fighting for over four minutes, and they would both be more tired out, so he would not be able to get the cover. In fact, the crossbody would knock both of them out almost,
So one man gang would be the first person released from his pod, and he would start going to town on Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat. Again, with him being a larger, more powerful superstar, and coming in fresh, we'd probably see a few solid minutes of him just overpowering Steamboat and Savage. However, because both of those guys at this time were big baby faces, they would show the endurance and the fortitude to keep kicking out of various pinfall attempts. Again, we get a lull in the action. Perhaps the double team maneuver from Savage and Steamboat is able to take one man gain down. light above Ted DiBiase's pot goes on, indicating that he is the next one to enter the match. However, the pot door doesn't open. DiBiase starts laughing, and in a moment, we see why. The camera shows Virgil outside of the Elimination Chamber, holding the pod shut, so that Ted DiBiase does not have to enter the match until he wants to. It's very similar to SummerSlam 2003, when Ric Flair kept the pod closed for Triple H. So we would see Randy Savage go up to it and try to pry it open, but he can't get it to budge. While he's doing this, one man gain would attack him from behind and regain the advantage, slamming him into the steel chains that make up the walls of the Elimination Chamber. Then he slams him yet again. And a third time until Savage falls backwards through the middle on the top rope, falling in the ring. Now, one man gain re-enters the ring, but he cuts across to go to the other side of the chamber, where Ricky Steamboat at this point would be down. He would give him a big splash, his finisher, on the harsh steel grate, and then roll him into the ring. And we have our first elimination. Ricky Steamboat has been eliminated. One man gain drags Randy Savage's body into the center of the ring. We can all tell he's going to go for a splash here again. But while he's dragging Savage to the ring, Hulk Hogan enters the match and saves Savage. He clotheslines one man gang over the top rope and body slams him onto the steel grate. Hogan then powers up. He hulks up and he breaks into Ted DiBiase's pod. Hogan slams DiBiase into the chamber a few times. then clotheslines him into the ring. One man gang gets Slick's cane and starts beating down Randy Savage with it as he lifts it above his head to deliver the final blow to Randy Savage. Hogan takes it away and instead hits one man gang with it in the forehead. Hogan then drops the leg and pins him. So one man gang has now been eliminated. 
we've already gotten rid of two superstars. And in the ring, we have Randy Savage, Ted DiBiase, and Hulk Hogan. Hogan at this point is the only one standing. Andre the Giant slowly enters the chamber. The whole time, him and Hogan have their eyes locked as Andre steps over the top rope and enters the ring. This is the big matchup. This is the match that they wanted to sell you again for WrestleMania 4. We had seen it at WrestleMania 3. We created Survivor Series built around this feud. Their match on the main event was one of the highest rated matches in television history. And here we are at WrestleMania 4. Hogan and Andre squaring off inside the Elimination Chamber. While this is happening, Randy Savage climbs to the top rope and delivers a double axe handle to Ted DiBiase outside of the ring. They start brawling while everyone's attention is on Andre and Hogan in the ring. As Hogan and Andre battle back and forth, Andre headbutts Hogan. Hogan punches Andre. They continue back and forth, blow for blow, until Hogan hulks up and body slams Andre. By this point, Randy Savage has climbed to the top rope and is ready to deliver an elbow drop while Andre is down. But Hogan doesn't want that. Hogan convinces him to climb to the top of a pod, which Savage does. Savage flies through the air, like Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series 2002, and delivers a big elbow drop right to the heart of Andre the Giant. Hulk Hogan quickly jumps on Andre for the pinfall. At this point, Savage will have rolled into the corner, selling the damage from that elbow drop. And now Hogan is standing in the ring, looking down at Andre, when he's attacked from behind by Virgil. How did Virgil get in? Well, with Andre being pinned, they opened the chamber door, and Virgil saw his opportunity. While Hogan has Virgil in his grasp, Andre headbutts Hogan from behind. Taking advantage of this distraction, DiBiase quickly rolls Hogan up for the pin. Hogan kicks out right after the three count. Too late to do anything. But he hulks up, and he starts hitting Andre, hitting Virgil, hitting DiBiase. He hits Andre so hard that Andre tumbles over the top rope. Hogan goes outside of the ring, onto the chamber floor, and he gives Virgil a big suplex onto it. Now in real life at WrestleMania 4, after the shenanigans of the Hogan and Andre match, Hogan suplexed Virgil onto the floor. So we're going to kind of recreate that moment, however, inside of the Elimination Chamber. Hogan then goes out to the ramp. Andre has been walking away from the chamber, but Hogan turns him around and starts punching him. They brawl up the ramp. Virgil is knocked out outside the ring. And inside the ring, we have Ted DiBiase sitting in one corner, Randy Savage sitting in the other, selling the injury from the big elbow drop. 
Gorilla Monsoon reminds the audience that Randy Savage started the match, and he is now one of the final two. DiBiase entered later because his pod was kept closed. He's fresher, he's got an advantage, and we don't know if Virgil will get up and be able to assist him. At this point, even though Savage told her to stay in the back, Elizabeth comes out to cheer on the macho man. DiBiase locks in the million dollar dream, but Savage fights out of it. He rolls through like a snapmare, dropping DiBiase down. He quickly climbs to the top rope, points his fingers to the sky, and delivers the big elbow drop. And that's it. The match is over. Macho Man Randy Savage is our new WWF champion. Hulk Hogan comes back out to present his friend with the belt, and they recreate the moment that we did see at WrestleMania 4, where they shake hands, and Hogan presents him with the belt. Savage gives the belt to Elizabeth, and then hoists her on his shoulders as pomp and circumstance fills the arena. We've been able to recreate this moment. We've been able to recreate the storyline thread of the tournament. Macho Man survived the whole thing, and he is our new WWF champion. So, what do you think? How did we do? Rebooking the WrestleMania 4 Championship Tournament as an Elimination Chamber match. Hit us on X or Facebook and reach out. Share the conversation and give us your feedback. And please, join us next week as we take a special look at The Rock in 2003, 2004, and 2005. What would have happened if he stayed on in more of a part-time role? He did make random appearances, but in our booking, we're going to see what kind of actual matches and storylines he would have had. Would he have put anyone over? Would he have gotten his win back over Goldberg? Would he have gotten his win back over Brock Lesnar for the championship? Find out next week as we rebook The Rock. And remember, it's not just fantasy booking. This is Booking Like a Mark. Thank you.